everyone. If you have your Bibles, would you turn please to uh, Exodus chapter 34. I'm on. There we go. Would you turn to Exodus 34, please? We're going to read about 10 verses in this chapter. This is a chapter describing Moses going back up the mountain after he has smashed the tablets because the people have made a golden calf. Uh, But he goes up the mountain to renew the covenant with the Lord. We're going to start in verse 5 of Exodus 34. Moses is on the mountain, and we read, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. And he said, If now I have found favor in thy sight, O Lord, I pray let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate. And do thou pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as thine own possession. Then God said, Behold, I am going to make a covenant. Before all your people I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations. And all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform with you. Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, lest it become a snare in your midst. But rather you are to tear down their altars, and smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their asherim. For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Father, we ask that you would give us insight into your word this morning, that you would take us deeper into an understanding of who you are. And Father, we know that we need the work of your Holy Spirit in order for that to happen. So we ask you to water our minds Water our spirits. Lord, help us to hear your voice and to sense who you are in the midst of the the word this morning. We just bless you and thank you that you love us, that you care for us. You care for us when we're on the mountaintop and you care for us when we're in the valley. I just pray for any in the valley this morning, Lord, that you would bless and touch and encourage them especially. We just praise you and bless you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this message is, His Name is Jealous. And um, 
Last week, Bill did a marvelous job, I thought, talking about the faithfulness of God. How many would say amen to that? And uh, I want to talk this week about the jealousy of God. Really, jealousy is like a twin sister to faithfulness. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on the jealousy of God. But um, it's my prayer that we will see the benefit and the necessity for this wondrous attribute of God, because his jealousy is a fire beneath his faithfulness. It's the bodyguard of his love for us. It's the underwriter of his power to bring us safely home, to present us complete in himself on that final day. As we look at this God who calls himself jealous, we have to remember that for all his love, for all his tenderness, for all his mercy, for all his kindness to each one of us, he is God. He's not our buddy, he is God. He's not our celestial bellboy, he is God. The mountains quake at his voice. He performs wonders in the sky above and on the earth beneath. He is God. He defines himself. We don't define him, do we? He defines himself. The scriptures say blood and fire and vapor of smoke. To Job, he said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. He said to Job, have you ever in your life commanded the morning or caused the dawn to know its place? He said to Job, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? With these verses in mind, when we read that God is love in 1 John, I wonder what makes us think that our definitions of love safely capture in a box the majesty of God's love, or the God who is love. I'm afraid our definitions of love are soft and small. And so as we explore this attribute of jealousy, the jealousy of the Lord, what do we find? As I began this process, I discovered some general truths and also some specific things. The The general truth is he is jealous over his glory. He's jealous over his love relationships with us. He's jealous over the spirit that he has put within us to sanctify us, and he's jealous over bringing us safely home to himself in victory. But more specifically, As I studied this topic, I found that his jealousy does four things. His jealousy makes a demand, and that demand is for absolute lordship. His jealousy stakes a claim, and that is that we are his possession. His jealousy performs a miracle, thank God, and that is that he drives the old man out of us and builds his holiness into us. And then fourth, his jealousy is the provision for our victory, that he will see us safely home. We find a bit of why he says, my name is Jealous. 
I hope I've piqued your curiosity. So let's get into the first point. His jealousy makes a demand, and that demand is absolute lordship. I wonder if you've ever thought about the sequence of how God revealed himself to man. He first revealed himself as holy, didn't he? The holy other one, the separate one. Holiness means separate. He introduced himself to Moses as, I am who I am, as if to say, you can't define me. Don't even try. Let me define myself. In fact, I'm not even going to ask you permission. I will define myself. Thank you very much. Then uh, he reinforced his holiness through various boundaries in dealing with the people of Israel. Do you remember how on, the, on Mount Sinai, when Moses would go up the mountain, God would say to Moses, Moses, warn the people not to come too close to the mountain lest I break out upon them and they perish. Just this incredible, raw holiness that could break out upon the people. And then in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments are given. And the first of those is a demand. And the demand is based or explained by the fact that he is a jealous God. Let me read verses 3 through 5 to you. Excuse me, 3 through 6. This is the first first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, just for clarification, you shall have no other gods before me. What that really means is you shall have no other gods besides me. The Lord is not saying, I'm going to be the, I I demand being the first among many gods. No, he's saying, I will be the only God. I am the only God worthy of worship. So he demands absolute preeminence. Amen? He he demands absolute lordship, no other place than first place. Perhaps you've struggled with Isaiah 42, verse 8, where the Lord speaks and he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. I will not give my glory to another. You know, you know, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who does he think he is? Does he think he's God or something? I, I guess he does. I guess he does. I will not give my glory to another. And it seems to me that this is a key point of a proper understanding of God. This is not about God being vain or grandiose or arrogant or uh, antiquated or capricious. It's not about him uh, 
self-serving or narcissistic. It's more like the ultimate self-respect for who he is. Let me ask you this. Do you admire someone who respects themselves? You do. God is like, has this ultimate seriousness about who he is and what he does. In fact, Martin Luther called his jealousy the left-handed side of God, saying that he is infinitely serious about who he is, about his work, and about completing his plan, which involves us, completing his work in us and bringing us safely home to glory. In the New Testament, Jesus reinforces God's preeminence by saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then in Colossians 1, 15 through 18, after Christ has ascended, Paul has these wonderful words about Jesus Christ and that he also, being God, is preeminent. Starting in verse 13 of Colossians chapter 1, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And then here's the wonderful line, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Indeed, God's jealousy makes a demand that he will be absolute Lord and sovereign. Someone has said, if he's not Lord of everything, then he is Lord of nothing. Secondly, his jealousy stakes a claim, and that is that we are his possession. Now, if you think about uh, jealousy, typically the way we think of jealousy, inherent in jealousy is the notion of possession. In other words, it's difficult or, or inappropriate to be jealous about something that doesn't belong to you. Uh, if you are, we typically call that envy or covetousness. But when it comes to something we indeed or in fact own, jealousy can be an appropriate response. It can become a legitimate response. It can become a response that our society and culture uh, approves of, even though there may be severe criminal penalties when it bursts out in its various forms. I can't help but somewhat appreciate my son's very imperfect jealousy in his high school years toward protecting his sister Esther. Somehow I never run out of Nathaniel stories. I was thinking about that on the way to church this morning. But um, Nathaniel was very protective of his sister at Jenks High School. And uh, there was one young man who was talking to Esther in the hallway and Nathaniel was a year or two older, and he, he said to that young man, don't ever talk to my sister again. 
well, being a foolish young man and Esther being Esther, such an attractive young lady, uh, that young man made the mistake of, of talking to Esther again. And the way I hear it, uh, I didn't hear it from Nathaniel, but the way I heard it was that young man found himself folded in half and pushed down into a garbage can so that his legs and his arms and his head were the only things that he could move. And then Nathaniel carried him and the garbage can up to the top bleacher at the Jenks football stadium and left him. Imperfect jealousy. But your laughter tells me that there's something you like about it, perhaps. Jealousy can be a legitimate response. By the way, Brian, are you kind of glad about that? Or how do you feel about that? He likes it. Seriously, though, uh, I feel for that young man as I tell that story. But, you know, after 31 years of marriage, I still bristle when Laura talks about an old boyfriend or someone she dated, you know, close to 40 years ago. What, what is up with that? I mean, you know, uh, is that just totally my pathetic insecurities and self-centered jealousy? <laughs> Lorraine, I'm going to try to change your mind about that. You, my whole family laughs because they just see something come over me, um, and it's, it's uncontrollable to me. And I've thought about it over the years. I thought, is it, is it just that, that dang flesh of mine that, you know, is so insecure and wants to totally own this person? And, and uh, I'm not so sure. I, I would like to ask you, is there not one vestige of godliness in a wish to go back in time and protect who has now become my wife, from being preyed on by young men who just want to use her? Is there, is there no vestige of godliness in wanting to be there when uh, her family lacked resources or she needed encouragement? I don't know. In any case, I think we have to change our surface definitions of jealousy, that jealousy is not just berserk, out-of-control, self-serving rage, but rather it's the fire beneath protective love, between a beneath a vigilance of love, and between a serious and intense love. Is it not jealous love that causes a mother to get up in the middle of the night and check on her newborn child and just make sure it's still breathing and still, still content and happy? Isn't it a jealous love that causes a husband to want to watch over and secure the protection of his wife in all things? Isn't a, a jealous love, unrefined maybe, of a brother for a sister, 
wanting to protect her? Isn't it a jealous love, the watch care of a mother bird over her young, or the love of God over you and I? You see, there is a godly jealousy. There is a godly jealousy. And in a moment, I'll show you some examples. But let's approach this another way first. When a man and a woman marry, what are they rejoicing in? I went to a wedding last night, Whitney Pierce. Many of you know Whitney. She got married uh, last night at 6 o'clock at First United Methodist Church. Just a gem of a girl. And uh, her husband was at least 18 inches. I never met him. He was at least 18 inches taller than she was. So she's just looking up at him, and he's just weeping. He wept the whole time, the whole service. Uh, And my heart, I never met him, but I just went, oh, okay, I like you. You know, (laughs) you're just an emotional mess. I like that. But I think he was rejoicing in the fact that here is someone to protect. Here is someone to provide for. Here is someone to seriously cherish and possess for the rest of my life. I think she was rejoicing in, uh, I have been chosen. Out of all the women in the world, he has chosen me. And if you think about it, uh, you know, why do bridesmaids flurry around glowing and so happy at weddings, it's because they're rejoicing with their friend that my friend has been chosen. And I think women, if, you, if men, if you ever wonder what it is women want, I think that's what they want is to be chosen over and over again, to be shown that they are your priority. But both bride and groom, what are they rejoicing in? I think they're rejoicing in the fact that we are making our relationship exclusive. We are, in a real sense, possessing each other. And um, isn't that like our relationship with God? He wants to protect us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to watch over us with infinite seriousness, with diligence. And we are his bride, and we have agreed to his possession. Uh, let me take you to some scriptures in, in, in our text. Verse 9 of Exodus 34. What is it that Moses prays? He says, Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as thine own possession. Isn't that beautiful? Take us as thine own possession. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, Chapter 1, we see that Paul expresses a godly jealousy for the Corinthians uh, in verse 2. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I may present you as a pure virgin. In 1 Peter 2, Uh, Verse 9, we read, But you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen race, a people for what? God's own possession, that we may declare to, to the world the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. 
Are we remembering this morning that we are his possession? Are we remembering the price that he paid for us? Not silver, not gold, but the precious blood of his son. A perfect lamb, unblemished. His jealousy stakes a claim, doesn't it? We belong to him. The third specific reality is that his jealousy performs a miracle. And what is that miracle? It's our sanctification. It's our becoming holy. It's our becoming more like him. Turn with me, if you would, to James chapter 4. If you have your Bible, I think this is worth turning to to read together. James chapter 4 starting in verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? The Spirit which He has made to dwell in us jealously desires us. That verse, that last verse is the one that kind of captured my attention and gave me direction for this morning. I don't know how it reads in your Bible. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. There's power in that verse, isn't there? God is at work in us. He's jealously guarding that spirit that he has placed within us and making sure that that spirit is driving, is, is crucifying the old man with its desires and appetites. God is transforming us by the power of His Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? God is transforming us by the power of His Holy Spirit, driving out vestiges of our fleshly nature day by day. Luther called this his strange work. The scriptures are resplendent with this reality. For example, Philippians 1.6, But I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, and that of the Lord, his Spirit. We could read Hebrews 12, 5 through 10 about the discipline of the Lord and how his discipline leads us to holiness. I could tell you story after story about the discipline of the Lord in my life and in my family's lives. How many of you could also tell me story after story of the discipline of the Lord? What is that? That is his jealousy over you and what he has placed in you. See, he's going to bring us safely home. He's going to have his victory in us. He will not allow idols. 
for very long. He will not tolerate us going AWOL from His hand of instruction. How many know we are on a short leash because He loves us? If you're getting away with something or think you are, I just want to warn you, your day is coming. Your day is coming. The jealousy of the Lord will not allow you to continue in sin or secret sin. I want to admonish you to just come clean with some brothers and sisters. Get some help. Uh, Don't keep that thing secret so that the Lord has to come with a hammer. Some of us have experienced that hammer and uh, paid a price. Don't sleep until that secret is out. The jealousy of the Lord is coming. Many of you remember, in fact, I was talking to Brian this week about this little, uh, I don't know what to call it, tract or, or pamphlet by an anonymous saint called Others May, You Cannot. And uh, listen to this passage. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with a jealous love and will rebuke you for little words and feelings or for wasting your time, which other Christians never feel distressed over. So make up your mind that God is infinitely sovereign and has a right to do as he pleases with his own. He may not explain to you a thousand things which puzzle your reason in his dealings with you. But if you absolutely sell yourself to be his love slave, he will wrap you up in jealous love and bestow upon you many blessings which come only to those who are in the inner circle. I just want to say hallelujah that his jealousy is sanctifying us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then point number four, his jealousy provides his victory. Do you ever get just so fed up with yourself, uh, so discouraged, trying to crucify the flesh within yourself? You just get to where you just hate yourself. And you're so disgusted with yourself. Paul, the Apostle Paul, cried out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful, the Scriptures say, because he cannot deny himself. Are you beginning to get a feel for how critical and how wonderful God's jealousy is? is. No? Yes? I hope so. I hope so. I hope you're beginning to see the necessity of his jealousy and and how it benefits us. We have a decision to make when it comes to crucifying the flesh. We can be stressing or we can be resting. Stressing is we stress or we are stressing in our inability to crucify our flesh or resting in the one who was crucified for us, the one who has placed his spirit in us, the one who jealously loves us and will bring us to our heavenly home, complete in Christ. Friends, I want to lean into and cherish the jealousy of God. I know that's an incredibly scary statement, but... uh, but I, I just believe that God is good 
and God is love. And even something as scary as his jealousy is something to be grateful for, something to understand as best we can. His jealousy is the fire beneath his faithfulness. It's the bodyguard of his great love for us. It's the underwriter of his power to bring us safely home, to make us complete in Christ. Just uh, three quick application points. What can we do before this awesome God who says of himself, my name is Jealous? I think we can just marvel in who he is. Amen? In that passage, Exodus 34, I just want to read where he says that I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. I am the one who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet I will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. We can marvel in who he is. And then I also think that we can also be jealous over our own, our own hearts and our own inner life uh, by not letting our devotional time go, by by determining that we will spend time with God. So many demands. I feel the same pressure as you do. So many demands. But we can jealously determine to have that time with the Lord. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And then finally, I think we can offer ourselves anew to God, just like Moses did after the people had worshipped the golden calf and he had smashed the tablets. He went back up on the mountain. And what did he say in verse 9? Lord, even though we're obstinate, please take us again as thine own possession. I want to invite any who would like to to stand and uh, let me pray a prayer that God would take us as his own possession once again. And then we're going to close by reading uh, Jude, from the book of Jude, verses 24 and 25. Thank you, Lord. Father, like Moses, we want to stand before you and humbly admit that we are an obstinate people, and yet we ask you to once again take us as thine own possession. Thank you that you sent your Son to purchase our redemption on the cross, and that by that work we have entered into a covenant with you. Lord, we want to be faithful to that covenant. We want to be faithful to that covenant, Lord. And we thank you for your jealousy that will see us through to the end. Father, we acknowledge who you have told us that you are. We acknowledge the name you gave Moses. I am who I am. We acknowledge, Lord, that you said, I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another. We acknowledge, Lord, that you said you are a jealous God, and that you jealously 
contend or yearn over the spirit that you have placed within us. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you demand absolute lordship. We surrender and submit, Father, to your lordship. Whatever the circumstances in our lives, whether we have had the rug pulled out from under us or uh, whether we seem to be stable and, and on a rock, we just want to say, Lord, that you are sovereign. You are God. You define yourself. And we surrender and submit to you. Thank you, Lord. We just acknowledge that we are your possession, that you own us. And um, Father, we just uh, submit to that ownership and that possession. Thank you, Father, for your spirit in us, that you've made us partakers of your divine nature. And we just um, are rejoicing, Lord, that you will have your victory. And we thank you, Father, that by your grace, you will see us safely home. Now to him who is able to keep you from snubbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen.